Good morning. Good morning, planet Earth. But hey, you could be listening on the shortwave radio. So it could be, you know, Friday night. Right around 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5850 kilohertz, out of Miami Okeechobee, WRMI. But as of this recording, it is Friday, September the 2nd, 2022. It's right around, you know, a quarter till 8 a.m., 7.45 a.m. And if you're a listener on the internet to my podcast, which you can get more information about by going to planetarystatusreport.com, but if you listen off the web... You know I haven't had one of these podcasts in a while, and uh, I have different reasons for that. Let me drink a little coffee here. If my voice sounds hoarse, or I sound a little sick or stuffed up, it's because I've had, a, I think, a cold for about a week or so. No, I don't think it was the COVID or the monkey herpes, but at this point, how do I convince crazy people? I can't. And any cold is the COVID. Any sniffle must be from the Wuhan secret lab where they engineered the death of the world, but it didn't really work. I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about your viruses and your vaccines. I don't know what to say about your Putin or your race war or your gender crap. If you have some type of misinterpretation of your reality, at this point, you own that crap. I own my own delusions, I own my fantasies, I own my rationalizations, and so do you. That is where we're at. If you want to tell me that somehow, magically, later this year, we all jump into a time tunnel and go back to 2019, and without any, you know, sci-fi dystopian consequences... Because usually when you go back in time, there's a Langolier waiting for you. And the Langoliers are these giant, freaking Muppet-looking Pac-Men. And they're out there on the timeline, eating up time. They are the worms of fate. And they're out there, baby. (laughs) The Langoliers. I don't know if there are Langoliers in 2019, but I'm pretty certain that this bullshit, this lie, which to this moment, I don't really know for certain why they're doing it. I really don't. You know, in, in 2019, I would have said the next big robbery. Except a robbery like this doesn't really take this long. They could have, you know, in fact, you don't want to take long. You don't want it to last years. You want to rip people off and then give them a, you know, a Coca-Cola and say, here you go. Here's your Coke, kid. Let's pretend it didn't happen. That's usually how these freaks rip you off. They don't spend, you know, an infinite amount of time doing it. It usually happens in the space of a year. It's been way more than a year now. And so I don't think this is about ripping you off. And if it is, your money is gone. You just don't know it yet. Neither do I. 
I mean, I'm the dude who calls up the bank and says, can you raise my ATM limit? I need to make a withdrawal today. I want to, can you raise my limit to three grand? And, and the funny thing is, money's not worth what it used to be worth. So the fact that they limit how much of it you can is an insult piled on top of an insult. You know, you have capital controls. You have limits on what you can do with your own money. You have to call the bank and say, pretty please, can I withdraw this money? But the, the fact is, you take that money, you put it into some cash, you, you put it between your mattresses, and a, a month from now, a month from now, maybe, maybe a few more months, it could be worthless for any number of reasons. Completely worthless. And I didn't want to spend the whole, you know, podcast ranting about crap, but here's the thing. About a week ago, more like 10 days ago, my right leg stopped working. I'm not kidding. It wouldn't work. I mean, I, I had feeling in it. I had sensation in it. But you know those Wuhan videos from February of 2020 where some old Chinese woman or Chinese man falls over? I, it, it, that happened to me. I was walking the dog and it pulled me right over. And so this was disconcerting. And my right leg still had sensation. It wasn't completely numb. It's just that it had no ability to keep me, you know, right side up without locking the knee. The good news is it seems 100% restored except for the giant scab on my knee because, you know, it got driven into the sidewalk uh, on my way to the hospital. The bad news is I spent a night in the hospital not as a person uh, standing vigil. I've done that before. You know, for people that have died, we've all done that before. But I spent my first night in a hospital as a patient. And, you know, I'm 52. I'm sure some of you have had your tonsils out or you've had, you know, some type of surgery and you're probably saying, oh, damn, that's no big deal. And on a certain level, it isn't really a big deal. Okay, I, I didn't really want to do it. You have to understand how freaked out I was that I decided to go to the hospital. And, you know, overall, um, the experience wasn't too terrible. The food was awful. I mean, but at least the nursing staff and the doctor admitted to it. And there's something to be said for a, a certain level of sarcastic, satirical kind of humor, even when you know that you work for the institution responsible for that atrocity they're calling breakfast. And, you know, I don't really want to know how much it costs. I really don't. To spend a night in the hospital, get all those tests. I can estimate because I used to work in revenue cycle in hospitals. So I could probably give you a pretty good estimate of how much it costs for all the tests and all the scans and everything they did. The long and the short of it is they could not figure out what was going on. Like other than some blood pressure that's a little bit too high, doesn't look like I got diabetes, doesn't look like I have cancer, doesn't look like I had a stroke or any other type of thing. They did a whole bunch of tests and all they could tell me is they don't know why my right leg stopped working. And then, you know, over the last week, it's gotten better. Now, in the same period of time, I've woken up every day with a kind of existential sense of dread that, in general, I associate with severe depression. 
Like in my particular case, when I get that level of dread, I say to myself, Dan, you're you're tilting towards the bad side of this thing. Maybe it's time to, you know, go see your doctor. And if you got to go on some messed up pill for a couple months, do that. But, you know, you're, you're in a pretty bad place. And I think I'm kind of pulling myself out. Like, I think that's also good news. Like, I hit a pretty bad low point yesterday morning. I woke up basically like, you know, the world was basically a thing that strangles you. And um, I think I more or less kicked it. It, it. It's still there, though. And I don't really know why. I mean, I don't know why my right leg stopped working. I don't know why every day this week I've woken up with that sense of absolute dark existential dread. It's hard to explain a pain that you feel in your heart related to your experience of fate. It's as if fate were an open raw nerve and you had a sense of that raw nerve and it just didn't matter. Like I had a really uncomfortable conversation with somebody the other day and you know, this is a good person, an intelligent person, but it was one of those conversations where I felt like it was my job to make the person feel better. And I can't do that. I've never been really that good at, you know, helping people through their rationalizations. It's just not a strength of mine. But right now, I can't. I can't help you. Okay? What I can tell you is I have no idea why my right leg stopped working. Okay? I have no idea why um, why that happened. I can also tell you that I have a deep sense of dread right now about the future, but I'm not sure that's anything other than just my broken psychology. You see, this is where living in the world as it is constructed, and I'm, I don't want to hear this, Dan, it's always been crappy. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, target setter, if you, if you want to tell me it's always been this crappy by some degree, you feel good about that. But then tell me what d part of this, what piece of this mess do you believe in? Why do you vote? Why do you care? Why do you parrot a, a Republican or a Democrat position? Why do you tell me how evil Trump is and how stupid, you know, Biden is? If you understand it's one big lie, why do you throw it in my face? It is vomit to me. It's vomit. If you're a voter and you want to tell me about your conspiracies, about the reset, it sounds like reused vomit. I saw this documentary about Alex Jones, and I thought it was going to be more of an investigation, and it was really kind of a, a promotional, you know, and so I ended up watching a two-hour commercial for InfoWars, and, you know, it was called Alex Jones War or something, and you'd think that maybe there would be an attempt at digging a little bit deeper, but the fact is it was, it was crap. It was really a lot of like romantic crap. Oh, the heroes of January 6th were trying to... No, the people that went to Washington, D.C. in early January 2021 were either paid actors or fools. But there weren't any heroes there. The entire thing was meant to be just one big giant <clears throat> mind screw. Uh, one big psyop for, for people who were upset about the election and wanted to play pretend it was a LARP. And yeah, 
Were people injured? Were people killed? Have I said this before as I spill coffee on myself? Every great American psyop is also a snuff flick. Okay? All right, buddy. You know, you tell me about the vaccine and how it might have injured you. That's possible. All I told people two years ago was this. It's either poison or placebo. And in either case, you don't need it. But if you said, well, I took the vaccine and now I can't see out of both eyes. Well, I'm sorry. You won the award. Because your paradigm, your lies, your delusions, your fantasies were more important than your survival. And in that particular case, that is it. That's the Darwin Award. You won it like the, uh, all of us do at certain points of our life. And maybe by the skin of our teeth, we survive our paradigms. But you, you didn't. That's the nice, compassionate thing I can say. I, I can tell you that. I can tell you that you played the game like the rest of us. And this time you, hand, you, you happen to end up on the bad side of things. That's, that sucks. But I don't know what to tell you beyond that, you know? I don't know what to tell you. I can tell you that the hospital, it was funny. I, w I was told constantly how busy they were and the place looked kind of empty. Like it seemed empty, it seemed really, really quiet, but every other moment I was being told by somebody how busy they were. And I don't know what's up with that. You know, the thing about PSYOPs, is that people who are being used have to end up internalizing a lot of the, the rhetoric. And part of the rhetoric of the 2020-2021 was how busy and overworked all the heroes were fighting the monkey herpes. So you got people who are still working at hospitals, they have to internalize that. They have to believe it. They have to put into their mind this idea that, yep, Yep, the, the place was crazy, the place was insane. No, I was there. I will tell you, it seemed pretty slow. It seemed pretty quiet. I didn't notice some massive overflows or anything like that. I had my own room to myself, and it seemed like I had a nurse anytime I pushed the button. So, no. Um, I don't know what to tell you there. I also add another variable to this equation, which is how did my right leg stop working? Why is it I've had a week of this deep sense of dread and also just pretty bad depression? Why is it I think I'm going to screw up my job and why it is I don't know if I care? About 10 years ago, I say about 10 because this is a, a thing that happened not on a day but over a period of time. But about 10 years ago, during the month of September mostly, my sister Nancy was dying um, of cancer, stage four cancer. She was a breast cancer survivor. I've known a few, I mean, that have survived a while. And I don't wanna, oh, but Dan, you're poo-pooing on parades. You know what, fuck you. Fuck you. Everybody dies. Everybody loses somebody they love. It happens. You're on planet Earth. The only way you can avoid acknowledgement of death in so many ways is to live alone. Because in the moment of death, you do not know yourself, right? And if there's no one else around, no one can care. But that's the only way you avoid the wreckage of it all. It's painful. It's sad. 
it's hard to lose people. It was hard to lose Nancy because my sister Nancy was one of those people in my life I would used to say, you know, when I get my crap together, I'll have a better relationship with my sister Nancy. Um, and I'm sure people say that. I remember a few weeks before she died, about a month before she died, we were supposed to have dinner and traffic was really bad. And I was driving out to Kent, that's Kent, Washington, kind of a suburban zone of the Seattle King County Metroplex. And I was driving out that direction from downtown Seattle and um, I just, it was crazy. I couldn't get through traffic. I, I felt, you know, kind of just, really just I felt kind of sad and angry and confused that day for whatever dumb reasons I had. And I was tired and I was stressed out and I canceled. And there was another, you know, dinner later I didn't cancel, but, you know, I think about it and I don't know. You think about things you end up doing because on that particular day it didn't seem important. And then a few weeks later, somebody you know and you care about is dead. And the other thing about cancer, too, if, if you've been around people dying of it, is it is pretty horrible. Like, you know, people, I think people should rightly so be skeptical of, you know, medical synthetic opioid, opi, opi, opiates, opio, opiates, whatever. All these synthetic painkillers, you should be skeptical of the Oxy and the, Ronk, the Roxy and all these opiates. But um, when my sister was dying and a couple years before that, my mom, it was pretty clear they were in tremendous, when they were conscious, they were in tremendous amounts of pain. And so, you know, these are dangerous drugs, these fentanyls and these opiates that they give people, these synthetics, they're dangerous. But for people in stage four cancer, um, it's that or people just screaming until they pass out from pain and shock. And ultimately, who knows how that ends, right? I mean, probably you end up having a heart attack from all that pain. But ultimately, it's a very painful, horrible way to die. And then there are the people that love you and they're watching you go through this and there's nothing they can do about it except watch. And it's part of this ritual of dying now in the United States of America, but really the whole modern world, this ritual of doing everything we can up until the last minute because that makes sense. And I'm a Christian, I'll tell you, yes, let's fight for life up until the last minute, but let's not fool ourselves. Everybody dies, and some ways of dying are just really freaking terrible. And cancer's one of them. I'd say dying a violent death is probably pretty terrible, especially if it's something random. Like you don't know the person who's, a, who's the assailant. You don't know the person that pointed a gun at you or, or decided to stick a knife in you. It's some random stranger. That's got to be a pretty terrible way to die because at the last minute, you're thinking to yourself, this is humanity. This is what it is. This is what it is to me. This is what it is to you. So I don't know, maybe the reason why my right leg started going all fluky, maybe the reason why I'm talking about, you know, the Langoliers and how you can't go back to 2019, I've said that a few times, um, maybe it is connected to 10 years ago. I don't know. Human psychology is a mess. It is, you know, even, even if you just want to approach it as kind of a cold-blooded, scientific, rational person, 
the psychology of humanity is a real confusing mess. And um, it's sometimes really hard to say why we do what we do. You know, I, I read a fair amount of Freud and, and Jung and other freaks when I was in college. And I remember reading The Psychopathology of Everyday Life. Um, this is a, a book that Sigmund Freud wrote. And this book doesn't deal with sex. It actually deals with things like slips of the tongue and language and how the use of language itself um, and the way we use it can reveal a lot about ourselves, a lot about what's going on. The, the words we can remember, the words we forget. The jokes we find funny, the jokes that we think are sad. I don't know. So yeah, I spent a night in a hospital and they don't know what temporarily caused my leg to fail. And we may never know, folks. Okay, the human body is a crazy, crazy thing filled with a lot of pipes and pumps and other types of like off-brand, you know, installed parts that you're not really sure who the supplier was. And you're thinking to yourself, this old rusty muck bucket, it's 52 years old. You smoke cigarettes, Dan. You used to drink the monkus oil. Yes, you used to drink the monkus oil. You used to dance with the demons. You used to go out late on a Friday night and drink the whiskey and have sex with the hookers and do the cocaine. How long did you expect this, this, this synthetic wrapper, this plastic grumpus, how long did you expect this Snickers bar to last, baby? It always had ants, just like they told you around Easter time as a kid about the kid who got the Easter basket, but it was full of ants. That was always a metaphor, baby, a metaphor for your body. I don't care. Oh, but I run marathons. I eat vitamins. I take care of myself. Your basket of eggs is just as fragile as mine. Okay, given how I've treated my body in the last 10 years, I should have diabetes, cancer, I should have a super enlarged heart, I should be dead. In fact, that was my thought heading to the hospital a week ago. That Dan, you know, this is probably it. Say hello to the angels. Say hello to the angels, Dan. The angels are coming for you. They're going to take you up to heaven so you can hang out with all the crackheads. Oh, sorry, Jesus. Yeah, I was kidding there. I think Jesus understands my sense of humor, even if many of you do not. And that's okay. That's okay. I got an email, um, an email from the Euro Millions Lottery Promotion, the Madrid office. It was an official announcement about the Euro Millions Lottery. It's a promotional prize allocation, and this is an official, official winning notification. And it was, and it was written, Dear Prophet, 
And not profit as in, you know, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. No, dear profit as in P-R-O-F-I-T, as in money. Dear money. It's like, it's like they did the whole, you know, <laughs> Microsoft Word mail merge from, from their office 97 install, but they didn't replace all the variables. So they say, dear profit, we are obliged to let you know the results of the just completed monthly final draws of the Euro Millions lottery promotion. And your email among the lucky winners won for security reasons. <laughs> That's another mail merge problem. You guys screwed up the script. Read the attachment in PDF formant. Spelling error. For more information regarding your win, contact Marcus Morgan about your win. Kind regards, Susan Algazire Morales, head, online lottery department, Euro Millions lottery promotion, yay. And yes, it included a PDF written in some arcane, Czech-style, Slovak language mixed with German. So there's some Czech stuff in here, some Romanian, some Spanish, and some German. And they're telling me to give them my social security number, my credit card number, my bank account number, the name of my first pet, the first woman I made love to. I won the Euro Millions. And maybe I'm a millionaire now, maybe I'm not, but I'm gonna tell you something. It's cray cray to be a Euro Millionaire, to be as rich as I am now because of my Euro Millions. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles, jokes are rapid learning. What does that mean? Well, I gotta say, we have a neighbor who saw me fall over last week um, and he actually ended up asking the folks here I rent my basement room from, obviously I live in a basement, um, they, they ended up talking to them and saying, is Dan okay? Because I saw him fall over all Wuhan style, but subtract the K-pop soundtrack, and it's not like Gangnam style, it's Wuhan style, and it's painful. Yeah, Boomer, Boomer, the Sharpay, with the sharp attitude, pulled me over. But he didn't run away. He didn't run away. And God bless that little, nice little orange dog. He could have run away. Shaggy ran away. The little scruffy Benji crackhead. He, he's going to run away, but his balls are gone. So, so, so he no longer knows why he runs away. <laughs> no, jokes are rapid learning. Um, it, it sucks to go through a trauma... Although, if you can go through any type of bad thing and survive, you have a chance to learn. In the very least, the next time you do it, you're going to look a little bit at angles and say to yourself, Am I sure I want to do this again? I went bungee jumping. I cracked my skull open. You know, am I sure I want to bungee jump? You might not want to bungee jump again. I got to say, one of the most dangerous things you could do 
at least prior to 2020, the numbers don't really make sense any longer. But prior to 2020, statistically speaking, one of the most dangerous things you could do would be to spend a night in a hospital. To go to a hospital for any reason at all, whatever the reason, the hospital kills you. And a big one prior to the monkey herpes was something called preventable hospital-acquired infection. You know, fungal and viral and bacterial killed people in terrible ways prior to the monkey herpes. And there were never any dancing nurses, and you know, usually there were lawsuits. You know, but no dancing nurses, just lawsuits. Anyways, jokes are rapid learning. Uh, good, great humor is a way to walk three people through traumatic stuff and smile. And that is often what great humor is. Great humor helps us have a thick skin. Great humor helps us get over ourselves. I don't know that I'm funny, but I do know that whenever I am funny, it's probably because I'm helping people with something that might seem serious and scary, but at least if we can have a sense of humor about it, we have a chance. Jokes are rapid learning. Jokes are a way of sharing things with each other, like the, the little bee that wiggles its butt to tell you where the flowers are. But in this case, the little bee is telling you where the women with the crabs are. Yeah, don't go, don't go down there. Don't go to, yeah. Bankhead Highway. I was in a taxi in 2016 visiting my cousin, my cousin that died this year. And if you search my old archives, you might even find the interview I did with the taxi driver. And he kept talking. I said, you know, where don't you go? He said, don't go to Bankhead Highway. And, and he was trying to say Bankhead I'm not making fun of him. The point is, he said, don't go to Bonkhead Highway. And I guess Bonkhead Highway near Atlanta, Georgia, is a place you go to get stabbed. Now, most of us say to ourselves, I'm all full up on that. I mean, even if you got zero stabbings, it turns out zero is enough. <laughs> Next topic. Oh, this is a, a clarification. I did a podcast... And, and half of it was aired on WRMI last Friday, the really dirty half, but not the funny half, the part with the bad words. I expect an email from the FCC soon. But um, someone had mentioned that Ajita Wilson, the, the low-rent version of a Pam Greer that ended up in a lot of these really crappy kind of Italian-style sexploitation films, Ajita Wilson's really a dude. And here's the deal about Ajita Wilson and Pam Greer and the genre of sexploitation. And this is what I'm going to say. I joke about it. I talk about it. I like film. I think that one thing we could say reasonably, and this isn't original, and I think I've said this before, is that cinema, film, is an authentically American art form. It's not that we own it, but it's very much an American art form. And so I have interest in it, even in the film genres that are considered gross and disgusting and, you know, not worth talking about. Okay, 
But still, there was a Shannon Tweed, and there was a Pam Greer, and these types of films did exist. Beastmaster. Yeah, um, so Ajita Wilson was in a movie called Savage Island. Savage Island is really two movies. There's the movie that, you know, Linda Blair and Penn Jillette were paid to do, which is like a couple minutes at the front and a couple minutes at the back. And if you take that, that movie and you paste it together, you end up with a seven-minute movie, in, you know, including credits. Seven-minute movie. And the name of the movie is She Will Blow You Away. But the movie sandwiched between that short little, you know, art house flick um, is a big sexploitation film. And one of the characters is played by an actor, actress, I honestly don't care what the right pronoun is, named Ajita Wilson. I never cared enough to figure out that Ajita Wilson was a dude, okay? Do I care now? More or less, not really. I never found Ajita attractive. That's good news. I always suspected something weird was going on. That's better news. And there is no replacing Pam Greer. You know, that's the headline here from the, from the, the listener that wrote in. There is no replacing Pam Greer, okay? Ajita Wilson, even if Ajita were a woman, is not Pam Greer. And, you, you know, in a lot of ways, you can't imagine the genre of sexploitation in the 70s without thinking about Pam Greer. Pam Greer, baby, there's no substitute for her boobies. They're real. I'm certain they were real. Maybe, maybe they weren't. <laughs> oh, Pam Greer. An ode to Pam Greer. Next topic. Did you know that there's a 28-day workout challenge according to age? When you're 18 to 24 years old, you join the army and you learn how to blow things up. When you're 25 to 34 years old, you battle alcoholism and you look for a job outside the military. When you're 35 to 44 years old, your body is filled with phlegm. Your body is filled with greases and oils. Your tummy is filled with cigarette butts. Your boobs, they yield only whiskey. Good thing you're breastfeeding, right? When you're 45 to 55, you look really cut. Like crystal meth cut. Like, I don't know, baby. Like Christian Bale in that you know, particular movie, the, the fucking machinist. Oh boy. Yes, when you're 45 to 55. When you're older than 55, you have jet black hair. You have three hookers. You look like Fred Astaire. 
This is the 28 day workout challenge, baby. Of course, we all know that secretaries get caught red-handed in the most inappropriate ways. I mean, especially if you, you know, are into that online porn. Secretaries get caught, you know, their heads in the washing machine. My blouse got caught on the washing machine. Will you help me? My skirt is hiked up over my buttocks. Will you engoobliate me? I'm a, I'm a secretary and I'm being inappropriate. And of course, families are inappropriate. This happens. It's, it's horrible. And then there's all these weird deformities we think are inappropriate, but that's kind of racist. Next topic. So I have an article link. I don't think I'm going to read the article. Um, it's from Zero Hedge, and I think it's a couple weeks old now. But it's about a particular movie chain going bankrupt. And after 2020, it's hard to see how movies come back. I mean, these movies were pushing the propaganda. And I just don't mean the monkey herpes, coffee filter, vaccine virus, Uncle Dan's got the Wuhan because he fell over sideways story stuff. I don't just mean the damage from that. I mean for decades prior to the monkey herpes, Hollywood has been pushing a steady diet of some pretty powerful imagery when it comes to plagues and viruses and death. And, you know, you, you know, people say, well, it's predictive programming, Dan. I don't know. It might, it might be that. I think it's more like preparing the battlefield of the mind, you know, and, and you could say that's predictive programming, but what if what's really going on is they're trying to convince you of something that isn't even remotely real. I mean, a lot of the predictive programming people say, oh, the virus has to be real because they were telling us there was going to be a virus. Listen, they were preparing you to believe a lie. They were feeding you a paradigm for decades. Okay, who's going to want to go see at this point a movie about a pandemic? So that particular genre is dead for 10 years and they've been squeezing the nutsack of that one for a while. In fact, who's going to want to see any movie about the end of the world? You know, the world's coming to an end. Shut up. Okay? Most people have been living in a fear box for a couple of years, and it ain't over yet. They're told about Putin. They're told about this and that. They're fear-mongered about the climate. Yeah, it's not over. It, in fact, in some ways, it might just be warming up. So it doesn't surprise me that movie theater chains are doing badly, but it also occurred to me that this is an arbitrage opportunity for, for a company called Pornhub. I mean, I could, you know, think about all the distressed mall properties. Take all the distressed mall properties, take all these distressed movie theaters. You could basically do a partnership between Pornhub and Hustler. Hustler could buy the mall properties. Pornhub could buy all the theaters. Think about it. And the only people that would be upset would be the executives at Disney. Because nobody really likes competition on the Death Star. Nobody likes competition on the Death Star. 
I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of silly. But I think to myself, there's a huge opportunity for Pornhub and Hustler to buy up every mall, you know, every distressed mall because they're all turning to crap, every movie theater because most of them are connected to these old malls. And then you got Hustler Pornhub America. And then people can go like they would in the times of Noah when you expect everything to go sideways, but the scientists tell you everything's okay. You go there with your family. And now are you connecting the dots? I mean, I, I'm being absurd, right? This could never happen. But I think to myself, if these are the end times, and they could be, I'm about 50-50, about a little over 50% odds at this point. And you'd say, well, those are pretty high odds, and you'd be right. You'd be right. Ten years ago, I would have said one in a thousand. You know, I would have said, you know, maybe. And this was right after, you know, I opened my heart to Jesus about a decade ago. But I would have said maybe, maybe, right? Look around, maybe. But now, I'm 50-50, you know? I'm 50-50. Either these are the end times on that 50% scale, or this is about to prove to me and to other people that, you know, maybe there isn't a God. I believe in God. I feel it. I have a sense of faith. But then doesn't every person that's delusional say the same thing? Doesn't every member of every cult, doesn't every Scientologist say, I feel L. Ron Hubbard in my heart. L. Ron's telling me about the skillions of alien Navy ships in DC-10s. And they're heading here with photon cannons. And yeah. And of course, that is not what I believe. Of course, that is not my faith. But the thing about the Lord is he gave me a brain. He gave us all a brain. You know, he gave us the ability to believe in things that are not there. And believe it or not, that's kind of a powerful skill in a lot of ways. I mean, it sounds weird, but it is. To have enough faith and trust to believe in things simply based upon faith and trust is a skill because when you live with people, when you live in a community, when you're a creature that's a social creature, you got to share knowledge. And it's not very efficient for every single member of a community to make all the same mistakes. Sometimes you have to tr trust old, old Grumbo, old Grumbo the Friedlich, who's telling you to stay away from the Kill Kill Berry. You know, maybe he's telling you it's a Kill Kill Berry, because it's poisonous, maybe it's because old Grumbo's gathering up the berries so he can have a little bit more bling-a-bling -bling and, and some of the little guys that come along, you know, aren't going to look like the Alpha, but like old Grumbo. Yeah, you don't know. But we still do have to trust. We have to trust. If someone says, those are the kill-kill berries, you eat those berries, you're going to die. That might have been one of the simplest forms of communication issues, trust, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years ago, is trusting a member of your tribe, a member of your family, to not poison you, to trust a member of your tribe that they would tell you the truth about food and water and shelter. That, that was trust. And in some ways, it's powerful. Okay, you can call it ignorance and on one level you'd be correct. But the fact is we all don't get, we don't probably get to recreate the entire encyclopedia in each one of our lifetimes. We probably don't get to perform every experiment. We probably at some point have to believe if they say there's an outer space, there's got to be an outer space, right? So yeah, I'm 50-50. 
50-50 on this. And if I'm 50-50 on the end times, I'm 100% sure that there's an investing opportunity here. There's a giant kind of REIT, uh, call it property fund. We can build around distressed malls and, and distressed movie theater chains. We, we pitch this to Pornhub and Hustler. And, and I make my 10% on the deal, and I believe that's going to be at least 50 million bucks, and I'll spend that in two weeks in Vegas with cocaine. And then it's over. It's over. So there's another article in Zero Hedge recently about these things called hunger stones. Um... And they're interesting. Hunger stones are interesting. These are stones that old European types in, in olden times, hundreds and maybe even in some cases thousands of years ago, these are stones that old-style old European-style hookers, they would etch on these stones and put them in the river, or ra rather they would leave them on the shore of the river because the river was so low. They would leave them on the shore. And so in the future, when the river got low again, because of something nobody wants to talk about, and hey, isn't it cool how the Ukraine war prevents all Arctic research right now? That's random. Yeah, um, they'd have these stones that would show up when the river was low. And right now the Rhine River, one of many rivers in Europe, is extremely low. Of course it's normal that all around the Northern Hemisphere right now, you have multiple droughts, severe droughts ongoing. Of course, it's normal that all this is happening. This is what they're going to tell you. Or they'll say it's climate change, you know, which tells you nothing. You want to talk about trust? You want to talk about old Grumbo and the Kill Killberry? Let's talk about hunger stones. So on these stones, they'd say things like, and again, imagine old English, old German, old scary European language. If you are reading this stone, if you can read this stone, bro, then you're about to die. If you can read this stone, there's no more bread If you can read this stone, the water is full of lead. If you can read this stone, you thought you killed Charles Bronson. You thought you killed him in Italy. But he left a message for you, Chan Michael Vincent. If you can read this note, I didn't make it back from Italy. You just sprung a tripwire. You just set a switch. You're dead, Jan Michael, for such a young pretty boy. Yeah. It's a funny story because it's the kind of story, in a lot of ways, um, in many ways that you don't expect to see even on Zero Hedge. Even, even on Zero Hedge, which claims a kind of edginess, which is really not there. Um, even on Zero Hedge, it's, it's a little bit over, over the line. Because again, it's, it's not as much about the thing as much as it is about the meaning of the thing, the omen of it.
You know, this idea that there are these stones called hunger stones, and you could arguably call them death stones. And if you can read one of these stones, there might be a problem. It also implies that there have been droughts throughout history, and this is also true. But the folks, you know, before we go down that road, understand that in the last couple thousand years since Christ, there have been three or four significant, really significantly bad events in Western European history that during any of those three or four, if you thought it was the end of the world, you know, people would have said, okay, maybe, like me right now, 50-50. If you lived in the 1340s and 1350s in Europe, if you lived during a time when there was at one point three popes, a hundred years war, a bunch of crazy people from the east, the west, and the south trying to steal your stuff, you got Mongols, you got Turks, you got all kinds of problems, you know, and you got the Black Plague, and half the people you know are going to be dead in a few weeks. If you lived during that time, and you said to somebody, to a priest or to a friend, I think it's the end of the world. Only a dick would say, oh, ha, ha, no, no, now go take the bodies to the dump. No, that was a pretty terrible time. I'll tell you something else, too. If there were nurses, they weren't dancing. I mean, people were basically just taking dead bodies to the dump. Yeah, no dancing nurses. And that reference to Jan Michael Vincent is from the film The Mechanic. And at the very end of The Mechanic, you know, Jan Michael's all like, oh, I'm Jan Michael, and I took out Charles Bronson. And he gets into his fancy car, and there's a note on the rearview mirror saying, listen, buddy, and I, I paraphrase, if I didn't make it back, that's Charles, that's Charles Bronson. I'm, I'm a sexy dude. If I didn't make it back, it means you killed me. It means you killed me, and now you're going to die. There's a bomb in the car. You just triggered it, dick. You tried, you killed, you killed Charles, buddy. But Charles killed you. That little message at the end of the mechanic is a lot like a hunger stone. If you, and, and it's horrible to think of it that way, but it kind of is. It's like, oh boy, if you can read this, your situation's probably not great. Now, of course, brothers and sisters, throughout history, good times, bad times. Everybody dies, okay? This life, if you're a Christian and you don't understand this, I'm gonna give you a quick lesson. This life you live here as a Christian, it's messy and dirty and unsatisfying. Really terrible people become rich. Really good people can end up living miserable lives, okay? And if you're an atheist, everything I just said applies, except for there's no meaning. But the fact is, this life we live, just as a Christian, I will tell you, this life on planet Boblimtok has always been a mess. And sometimes are really good times, okay? At least relatively speaking. And even in good times, there is tragedy. And sometimes are awfully tragic and filled with lots of death and lots of pain and lots of people crying out to the Lord saying, why? Ten years ago, when my sister Nancy was dying, I asked the Lord for one of the first times in my life, why? She had kids. I didn't have kids, okay? 
Um, you know, she wasn't perfect, but neither was I. I thought to myself, if I was going to pick somebody from the clan to take out, I made the most sense at the time. I didn't know it, but a year later, my wife was going to dump me. So you know what? God bless. Take me home. Lord, I found you. I did. It took my whole life. Take me home. I shook my fist at the Lord. I wondered why he would take a mom. Why he would take someone like my sister. Not perfect, but she's had her share of hard knocks in recent years prior to that. And she'd had her share of pain. And I thought that she'd had plenty, that her bowl was full. But this is not Eden. And this is not heaven. And this is not the millennial kingdom. And if you're an atheist and you don't understand that, you are deeply, deeply confused. This is a world where really bad things happen to people you love. This is a world where it could seem like everything's about to end. Because this world was always temporary. Look up the definition of that word, temporary. Look up the root of that word, temporary. And understand that you can't go back to 2019, not because Stephen King was right about the Langoliers, but because you can't go back. But you can go forward. Next topic. Next topic. You know, we're we're running it we're running down the clock here. This is a one hour show, so we got a few minutes left. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Ukraine. Um I have a good friend of mine who actually does podcasts with me, Seattle Mike. That's his nom de guerre, that's his nom de plume, that's his pseudonym, that's his secret identity. His name might not even be Mike. It could be Al, for all you know. And he might not live around Seattle. He could live near San Francisco, the San Francisco treat. But I have a good friend, Mike, and he was telling me, Dan, you know, one of the healthiest things I've done recently is to tune out all the news. And I will say in my own defense, the only quote-unquote news, and I say that word sarcastically, that I even plug into comes from Zero Hedge. And for all them, you know banning my stuff and whatnot, it's still about the only place I can go and not totally vomit. It's not to say that I don't think it's a garbage dump. Every news feed, every news service is basically a landfill at this point, a cognitive existential landfill. And if you're lucky, you might find something. I've been saying this before the monkey herpes since 2019. You should be a Sovietologist. You need, to, you need to be able to read between the lines. You need to be able to discard the contradictions. They're not going to tell you the truth. I cannot verify in any way that I would trust, and this gets back to that concept of trust and why it's so powerful. I can't verify one part of the Ukraine story. Okay, I'm not saying there isn't a movie going on in the Ukraine. And I'm not saying that there aren't participants playing the game. But the entire thing, as every week goes by, looks more and more fake. 
Okay, it looks more ridiculous, more absurd. And it fits into the category of where I've been since the beginning of the monkey herpes, which is they're running out the clock, you know. If this was something that they were planning, that they could just throw a switch, we would have gone to sleep one night, woken up the next. And as far as psyops go, they wouldn't have used monkey herpes, Ukraine, race war, I hate Putin, Trump, Biden has a crazy mind nonsense. They would have used pyramids on Mars. They would have given you a sugary treat, not something saccharine. It would have been more like, you know, going to the moon, okay? It might be crap, but it'll make you feel good. Okay, Doritos for the brain. If the plan was to have anything but a smoking crater when all this was done, then the PSYOPs would have been a different flavor. Well, now we're in the Ukraine phase. And it's funny, you could have seen that a couple years ago. It's just that I didn't think this nonsense would last this long. I really didn't. I, I didn't think they would be able to pull people around by the nose this long. I thought at some point people would recognize what was going on and just give up on it. Because frankly, all of this is bad for you, okay? Physically, psychologically bad for you. I don't care if it's the COVID, monkey herpes, coffee filter cult. I don't care if it's the Ukraine. There's nothing you can do about it for all intents and purposes. And it might all be crap and it's just bad for you. Okay, Wh whose side are you picking? Like some of you out there are like picking sides in this Ukraine thing. Let's pretend it's real for one moment. Pretend that the Ukraine is real. Pretend that there really is something going on there right now. Wh who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? If you're going to tell me the United States are the good guys because we're standing up for people not having their crap stolen, tell me why we're stealing oil in Syria right now. We are. We're ripping off the Syrian people. We have military forts around oil facilities in a foreign country we do not own. Okay, there's nothing in our constitution that gives us rights over Syria. So who, who are the good guys right now? Who are the people you're supposed to say, these are the good guys? There are none. If the Ukraine is real, if any part of that story is legit, there are no good people there. There are no good guys. There are only victims of war. But what if it is 100% BS? What if it's just another PSYOP game they're playing to keep you angry and confused until what? Until what? Okay? I, I said this a couple years ago. I said, the longer these kinds of lies last, the less likely it is they're hiding anything good. I don't see a surprise party. I don't see a giant cake rising out of the Atlantic saying everybody gets donuts this week. I don't see any of that. Anyways, we're almost out of time, which means we're almost out of time to rant. For all you folks out there listening to this program over the radio on a Friday night, going out there on a hot date with the woman you love, maybe you're going to go home and make sexy love. Maybe you need to go to that him or her site, the him site, and get the blue pill. You'll get the Viagra, and you'll get the musket grease, and you'll be ready to go for your woman because you love her. You'll engudulate her flinctus. You'll massage her buvula. You'll find love in the greasy hole. Because it's Friday night, baby. And on Friday night, 
you can be a porn superstar.